Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I talk with movement enthusiasts to learn who they are, what they do, and why they do it. My guest today is Soichi Porchetta. Welcome, Soichi. How are you this morning? You're in you're in my tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the future. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm good. It's a nice day here in Tasmania. It's It was a very nice day here in Pennsylvania. It's dark now. The sun went down. Mm. Um, I There's so many things that we could talk about, but this all started like the whole journey of me. Hey, would you like to join me for a conversation? All started because I read a blog post. Um, I think the blog post is like five years back now at this point. Um, I didn't find it until recently where you were talking about, I think the title is uh, everyone should have a movement practice. And you were talking about uh, things that people are thinking of when I say that title. But the point that you made that I really went, Ooh, that's interesting. Is you said there's two pieces. So if I'm supposed to have a movement practice, I should have these two pieces. One is, uh, and I'm kind of putting words in your mouth because I didn't print the article, but one is sort of the internal part, the thing that I'm supposed to be doing that we all think of when someone tells us, you should have a movement practice, I should be going to jujitsu class, or I should be running, or I should have this thing that I do because that's what builds me up, or that's what makes me strong, or that's what makes me flexible. Um, and then the point that you made, which is you should also have a second part, which is like this external piece, this randomness, or this reality of the world, or something that surprises you. And I, I really liked that you pointed out that dualism, that duality there, those two parts, that yin-yang, that Taoistic... Lots of ways to describe that. Um, so that, for people listening, that's what made me go, oh, this is yet another person that I want to talk to. Uh, so I'm going to put a pin in that. There's that. That's that thing that drew my attention. And then I really want to talk about Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, tell, me, um, tell me about why um, people are like, what? So when did you realize, like, what was it about the Kung Fu Panda scene that you'd like to share? And maybe you don't want to give away the exact scene, I don't know. But what was it about that scene that clicked with, is it that it brings in that external surprise part to movement practice? Like to people, when you say, go watch Kung Fu Panda, that's like a part two movement practice surprise? Or am I imagining a connection here that doesn't exist at all? No, I, I actually, I realized because my teacher told me, <laughs> um, he, he made a <laughs> That'll joke do about it. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joseph, um, a fighting monkey, he, he made this joke. Um, and that's a, something that I really actually value is making jokes where people don't know if it's a joke and as mm. a way to impart knowledge as well, or to create a shift within them. Uh, so one of the many jokes was like, yeah, you know, like, you know, my workshops are really expensive. And if you can't afford to come, then just watch Kung Fu Panda. Everything is in there. So I immediately went home and I still went to more workshops. Of course, they're worth it. Um, <laughs> but I immediately went home and, and rewatched Kung Fu Panda. And my appreciation for it as a movement teacher, uh, on top of practitioner was really, really deep. Um, and it really showed, yeah, I will not give away which scene I, I often show at workshops or, or talk about, but but it's with it, woven within the whole movie where um, it is, like you say, connecting the inner with the outer and that the, the manifest result or the physical proof or result will come from a 
an acceptance of the present moment and also um, an intimate understanding of what you are dealing with. So from mm. the teacher, obviously Shifu, he has to train this, you know, big, fat, uh, lazy, clumsy. Yeah, yeah. And he has no idea how to do it. So I really relate uh, more to um, Shifu in, in the movie. Like, oh, yeah, like you have so many different makeups coming in. And how do I really, um, you know, take my time to gain an understanding of what makes them tick, what is meaningful to their life so that they can... Uh, use the movement practice however it looks to bring themselves there um to and and for me i call it moving towards the higher self Ooh, we, we, we're always making yeah it's, it's yeah like like every, yeah it's just like a thing um actually rafe kelly i i'm sure you would know or heard of him he yeah, really <laughs> was uh yeah he, he was a big help for me. Um, I did my first podcast ever with him, and oh, I was terrified. Uh, oh, uh, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody should ever be terrified of being on a podcast. It's just talking. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I have to say I enjoy these conversations now, but maybe the first 10 I ever did, it was purely only to get over my fear of speaking on video and speaking to strangers. Mm. I was like, I really hate this, so I got to do it. Um, so that was my first one. And uh, he asked me why I'm teaching movement or why I'm practicing movement. And I didn't have a clear answer. So I, I was quite upset with myself. Oh, those are the uh, best questions, aren't they? Those great. are the best questions. Somebody says like, blah, 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 and you're just like, oh, I don't know. And I should. Yeah. I'll be back. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and then it was just so serendipitous. A few years later, he he invited me to present on the um, uh, movement summit. I, I, when was this? Like 2020, or it was just before COVID, or around that time. And um, I was like, "Oh, I'm amazed he's called me back," you know, because I kind of uh, was not expecting, you know, some follow up. And and uh, I made the presentation, which is on YouTube. Um, moving towards the higher self and while I was making it it just unlocked so many things for me uh on my own path in what I'm here to do so um I see that in Kung Fu Panda where where the teacher is you know trying to serve a higher purpose whether there's a villain or uh something needs to be done and then he has to work with all very different, you know, there's like a tigress and a snake and a panda, and they're all wired so differently. But especially panda, he does not have that. Um, he didn't arrive with that. Uh, the sense of calling, I, maybe? Nah, he yeah, was called. Yeah, he, he felt was, like he, he was called. He was not aware of it. He was called and he went, but he was not self-aware, right? And how can Shifu make Panda self-aware by understanding, by having empathy for him, which was very difficult for Shifu. And I can relate mm -hmm. to sometimes it's like, wow, th this 
you know, this group or this person is wired so differently, I have to completely drop all of myself and take in what's in front of me so that I can find the tools to serve. And, um, and actually, this spontaneously connects me to another podcast I did that was very helpful in shaping. Uh, so like in getting over my fear of public speaking, I actually got received so much help from wonderful people like yourself in directing me. Uh, or, or for me to become self-aware. So I was, I guess, Kung Fu Panda in, in the podcast. Um, well, there's, um, I don't know if it's people like me. Thanks for grouping me in with other awesome people. That's great. Um, I, there's a, hmm, what's the right word here? There's an, I want to say there's an innocence in like how kids ask questions, but it's, it's not quite that. It's when somebody asks you a question even if it's a question like what's down this side street, you know, in a town that we're walking through. But when somebody asks you a question, there's like some questions are pointy and they're clearly trying to dig into you more. And some questions are really about discovery. Like, I wonder what's over this hill or like what's in this park, or I wonder how we would dot, dot, dot. And that those questions are, I don't do this often. Because nobody else can see what I just did. I reached over the side and I have a an essay on top here called Questions Are Not Just For Asking. Yeah. So as you were talking about it, <laughs> I'll send you the URL <laughs> and I'll yes, put it in the show please. notes for everybody else. Uh, but the idea that I was getting at there was because you simply that because you've asked a question doesn't mean that you actually want the answer. It can just be like one holding up a, oh, 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 this thing oh, here, oh, oh, I don't understand oh, oh. this question. Um, and what you were describing about the character Sifu in the movie's experience of like, oh, how am I going to like the presentation of this student who didn't actually ask him, a, like, well, he asked them a lot of questions, actually, but <laughs> he didn't ask it the right question. He didn't show up and say, you know, grandmaster, teach me. Comfrey. Didn't show up and ask the typical question. But the, the sheer presence of that student was a question for this. And then he's like, oh, I guess I better figure that out. Um, so I... I tend to try and do that all the time. Like if, if people listening, if you can hear me, anytime you hear me, I'm doing that. I'm not asking questions mm. because I actually want an answer. I'm asking questions mm. because I, I pulled it out of that little stone bowl of water I was telling Suichi about before we started. Mm. I pulled it out of the bowl and went, oh, that's interesting. What do we think about this? Yes, that's grammatically a question, but I'm really just trying to engage with the other person or the other persons if it's a group mm. setting or whatever. Um, which is that whole, what I'm kind of dancing around there is James Carse's ideas of infinite play. Like the goal of a good game is to keep playing. And if it's too easy, somebody yeah. adds a rule. Like that's how kids play games. Well, yeah. that's how nice kids play games. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I love that. And I feel that when, I mean, some questions are there to be answered and that's important in our daily lives, but if we don't have the questions that lead to an exploration, then there's kind of a death there, or, or there's no room for growth, right? Yeah, it's, plateauing. A, a totally, totally. And this quest, great question was asked to me um, by Josef Bartz in Berlin. He's an OG movement teacher. So he and I were um, training with and assisting Ido Portal like, I don't know, 12 years ago or how long it was. And and uh, we stayed in touch and had done some podcasts together. And he, you know, kept like 
knew what I was up to. And I, I had spent a year doing a lot of pottery. Um, he knew I'm really into cooking. And I have been since, uh, since I started training, actually, since I was 15. I really spent equal time cooking as I have uh, training mm. with the body. And he asked me to like link these things. He said, oh, how has pottery helped your movement practice? And this was like in the moment quite tough to intellectualize and articulate (laughs) but it was so important um and it it really uh helped me to connect with what joseph calls universally valid principles like is your practice you does it contain universally valid principles because in if it does, it doesn't matter if it's a musical instrument, if it's in the kitchen with clay, jumping around buildings, kicking people, uh, whatever it is, because you're, right. you embody, right? So there's a concept of a principle, which may or may not be universally valid, but when you embody it, which would be through a physical practice, not necessarily a formal one, but it's embodied right you feel it experience it in your body beyond concept um then i think you really develop a superpower like kung fu panda right where there didn't appear to be a potential and then you're like oh i can unlock that and and transfer the files of course pottery helps my movement of course movement helps my cooking of course cooking helps my new other thing um or or to observe patterns in nature when I'm like brand new to a bushcraft and survival skills and like starting to really connect all the elements that make up the experience of life. And that's, Mm. that's a never ending question. Like if you answer it, it's over. (laughs) Uh, I was, when you were talking about like connecting, there's, there's that idea in there of, uh, integration, um, I'm actually really bad with people's names. Some people are afraid of like finding themselves at primary school and having forgotten their pants. You know, that's a common terror among, <laughs> among school children. Not one that I had. I don't know. I'm totally saying it's not one I had. <laughs> However, my fear is pronouncing people's names wrong. I guess what I do a lot of pronouncing people's names. Um, but I had a, a guest recently and uh, for the life of me, I can't think of her name. I apologize. And that always bothers me. But anyway, It'll come she back was talk- after the podcast is done. Yeah, right, which doesn't help the yeah. poor people listening. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she made the point and she was talking about moving from one practice to another and how just talking generally about people who might move from one practice to another and how if you aren't in it enough, you can't actually have the transformative experience. Like you have to be in the thing enough so that you're forced to go, eh, how am I going to integrate this? Or if you're lucky, it falls in pretty mm-hmm. nicely, but it has to integrate in with everything else that you are at the time. That's growth. That's how you become the new version of you. And, and that, yeah, if you, if you don't have any more of those questions, this, this question idea you and I were discussing, if you're out of those questions, then how would you ever make the next transition? <clears throat> I, I just love yeah, yeah. that, yeah, I love that it point too. of like, you can't take it all in. You can't take nine, <clears throat> excuse me, can't take nine different movement practices and you have to one at a time, <laughs> two together, that, and another one. I think that, um, yeah, this other uh, practitioner that, that you had the podcast with really 
has an intimate understanding of this. And I actually see it as, um, you know, a little bit of a problem in the modern movement world because we, we you know, it's, it's quite a young world, like in its popularity. It's been, yeah. it's existed for many, many decades. But in its kind of like connecting to general population, it's very new. And, you know, there's this criticism where specializing is not good for your health, which is true, right? If you're overly repetitive, then yeah, your 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 joints, your brain, your mm. lymph, yeah. your nervous system, they do crave diversity in a, you know, healthy, healthy dosages and healthy ways. But you also have this era of you know, rampant ADD it, that's really pushed by our world around us through all the screens, even in the education world. Um, and like when you say, well, I'm not going to specialize because it's not good for me, it can get people kind of lost. Like, like if you dig deep enough into the earth, you eventually hit water. But if you, um, and maybe I suppose once you have reached the water and you don't know how long it takes you to reach it and then you can nourish yourself with it and gain this immortal knowledge then you can move on right but what a lot of people end up doing is they just dig a ton of potholes and they saw bob (laughs) hit water very quickly i'm gonna go to the state next door and drop this one and dig next to him and then sarah's got another you know, area and and there's just potholes everywhere. And if we look at something like uh, mixed martial arts, MMA, which I thought is something I always thought I would have gotten into because I was competitive in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and then Thai boxing, but then I I retired. (laughs) Um, If we look at MMA, every great uh, champion or, or even experienced practitioner, they have been practiced, they were specializing rarely under a decade before integrating into MMA. You don't just learn MMA. So you meet teenagers today and they go to a MMA gym. MMA gym. Yeah, on Tuesday night. No, 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 no. Yeah. But actually like who, you know, we like people were like Olympian judokas or, you know, uh, jiu-jitsu champions or like Muay from Thai all kinds of box, yeah. specialized martial arts for usually more than 10 years before going and and then they had that water that they had drawn from their hard work like repetition is super important and I think if you're really present in your practice there's no such thing as same rep right it's what questions are you asking because when you kick Uh, the bag or kick the opponent and and so Thai boxing was my last sport you're doing you know in a day hundreds of kicks and over weeks thousands of kicks but no one is the same it's not um, a mechanical movement without feeling and that's mindless right it it's really you know your breath your body your coach the surface the moisture in the air everything is always different so it's only the same i think when we stop asking when we stop paying attention and then it becomes a robotic thing um so i really while i am myself a teacher that pretty much generalizes 
almost only does that, right? Like, and, and I do kind of specialize. I, I love working with uh, elderly people or um, also with athletes and uh, people that are interested in developing inwardly as well. I do get drawn into certain pockets of demography, uh, but I'd say my work is 99% generalist. It has to be accessible. You can be 90 years old or 18 and you get something out of that class. So I'm all for generalization, but specialize in something in your life. Like it doesn't matter yeah, what it is. Some... Yeah, there's, go there's deep, piece... go deep. There's that piece in there about, it, there's so many things, and it's like, oh, always the same topics. I wish I could learn these things once and for all, but it, that would take the fun of it. There's the embodiment piece, which we just kind of like blew right by there. And I think part of what going deep on something teaches you, even if you go deep on pottery, the mm. there's an embodiment to the practice. Oh, I overdid it. Like I sat at the wheel too long and my back is killing me. You, you still get, mm. it's, a, it's a thing that you're doing. As long as whatever it is that you're going deep on is something that you're doing, not simply mm. uh, pure cerebral reading, that's that's not going to not gonna do it. Um, as long as you're doing something, then you can, there's the opportunity for you to get real knowledge from it. It's like, I, I believe that knowledge is embodied. It can't just be, I know how to do something. I think it was Tim Ferriss cautions, like don't read nonfiction books unless you're about to use the knowledge that you need from the nonfiction book. So there's no point reading about how to repair your car unless you're actually going to go work on your car <clears throat> or you're trying to become an auto mechanic or something. Because um, otherwise it's just going to be in your head and it's not connected. It's not embodied. Um, it's and I think, ex experiential. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the piece. Yeah. Like one of the things that why, like, well, why can't I just dig potholes? Well, because if you just dig a pothole, you didn't, you don't spend enough time to actually physically learn the thing. Yeah, and and maybe you know, well, you can, and you probably may, but and then it will be, you know, not not you, Craig, but whoever is saying, well, I'm gonna go and dig potholes. Go for it, mate. No worries, like they say in Australia. But you will thinking, see for yourself. Thing, right. Like, right. And then the experience will guide them to go see, well, okay, like I can choose to keep doing this or I can, you know, be like allow, become open to drawing something that will allow mm. me to find water. So it's each person's experience. Um yeah, there's there's so much in there, well, and I guess like Eastern... like yeah, one yeah, I'm so excited. No, Sorry, go 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 go. go. <laughs> um, it it brings me um to really again like having a mm, more refined appreciation for the work that I do, which is. It's really powerful and impactful, but it's only a supplement. So if someone is like, I am not, I'm just there to trickle in a little bit. And then the, the people, they come and, and they, you know, they feast on, on or work on whatever it is that's going to serve them. But I'm never going to be the main thing, right? And that feels really great. There's no ownership or even huge responsibility there's a responsibility to do what i offer really as best as i can yeah, like a moral but, responsibility yeah 
I am the generalist. So you, you as a student cannot be spending 90% of your time with me, unless maybe uh, you want to become a movement teacher also, or you are a movement teacher and you really want to dive deep into, okay, what's this weird world that Soishi lives in? And mm -hmm. I want to, but, uh, but that's more like an apprenticeship, which is how I learn best. Um, for majority of people, I really am this like a supplement, right? Take these like organic fresh herbs and go and thrive. But you got to go and hunt your own meat and and vegetables and forage and, and you know, like have your own thing. Um, so, it uh, yeah, I think it's like not becoming, taking um, ourselves to be more important uh, or dominating than we really need to be with the role that we play. Uh. There's a lot of wisdom in there. I, I was thinking this, I was going to say this is bringing me to the Eastern, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears type of principle. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that's, that's a lot of the, I, I'm, I'm going to say something. I was trying to think like, what was the first thing that I really went, you know, oh, you're in the weeds, Craig. How like, what was the first? I can't really remember, but I feel like the very first one can be dangerous because if you don't understand that, like sometimes I ask guests on the show who have transitioned from like, so I, one of the things I thought about asking you about was like, what was it like to give up the love of your life? Like you were deeply into Muay Thai. It was a, you know, like, yeah. what was it like for that transition? We don't have time to talk about that. That'd be an awesome conversation for part two. <laughs> but sometimes I ask people those kinds of questions because that's major. And the very first one, you're usually kind of like my hypothesis. You're usually pulled away. <clears throat> so whatever your first yeah. thing was, you really fell in love with playing the French horn and then you moved to a town that didn't have a band, you know, or like the school didn't have yeah. that instrument. And you're just like, oh, this sucks. But like it was torn away from you. After that, <clears throat> man, after that, you get in the habit or you've learned the lesson that like, hey, everything's temporary. Like I'm really mm. deeply in love with this practice or that I'm in, I'm in lust with ground fighting or whatever. I'm in lust with, you know, mm. BMX park. Um, but you kind of know, you're like, yeah, I really was into skateboarding too at one point, And then I wrecked my knee and I gave that, you're like, I was a point yeah. where I went through that transition before. So I'm kind of suspecting there's a transition coming at the end of this thing. So it's mm. like, you begin to realize that there are the seasons and the cycles to it. So it's really like really early in your journey that that could, I think that could be a big danger if you don't realize that you're less like, no, this is, I'm going to learn this at 12 and I'm going to do it till I'm 102. That could probably yeah. be really bad because you could just go down that hole forever. Um, and it would be really hard for somebody to explain to you why you need to, you know, we'll try something else. Um, just what I was thinking, we were talking about these cycles. I'm like, Ooh, there's also something I hadn't thought about, which is the first love, you know, versus the yeah. second or the third or the fifth. Yeah. 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 That, that's very relatable. It definitely brings back very uh, strong and vivid memories um, of like, I, I did change countries very frequently growing up. So I did experience uh, some of these things being ripped away or, yeah. um, or having to make yeah. a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. And I think that again, like over-specializing is harmful, right? You can become like the the body becomes rigid or molded into that thing because the mind has become rigid and molded into that thing. So we mm -hmm. become dogmatic um, 
and yeah, that's, that's a very big dangerous. Especially in yeah. it happens a lot in martial arts where it's like these are the way we do, this is the way we do things, and people who don't yeah. even realize they've become trained to perform certain ways. Um, so if you get like this false sense of security about how good you are or what works, which I think is yeah. why we see a lot of really good fighters like who have gone really deep in one area, and then when they go to MMA. I think the ones who do really well, I haven't followed a lot of MMA, but I think the ones who do well are the ones who have learned that lesson and they go into a more complex rule mm. set, a more complex environment. And they're just like, okay, I know I suck. Like I know I got problems. So they have yeah. like, their, like their heads on a swivel and they're like, okay, I mean, I can do this, whatever they were really good at. I got that part, but like, what is the rest of it? Because I don't, and I think that attitude, um, carrying that, uh, they call that the, like a beginner's mindset. Also. Yeah, perfect. The beginner's mindset. Like like that is the lesson that you learn when you come out of that love affair and go to the next thing. You're like, well, I'm a beginner again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so important. That's that's a beginner comes with open questions and, and they may not even be able to comprehend the answers. Like if you go to a first jujitsu class and you say, like, oh, uh, the you know, the purple belt armbarred me. How do I get out of the armbar? And the coach can show you, but you're still not able yeah. to receive the answer, right? Like yeah. it just, um, you know. You do the following for seven years. Up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you keep showing up with that yeah. same openness and you just never stop growing. You, you, you don't, yeah, like, um, you know, a Muay Thai champion goes to learn wrestling and, you know, they go as a, if they are truly high level, I believe they will be a blank slate. Um, and the ego will not be there to sabotage their, their very quick growth. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they're, um, somewhere, I think you were talking about, um, in like handstand practice, cause there's a great anecdote I could ask you to tell about your first handstand one arm handstand. But anyway, uh, the whole point about if you spend initially, you spend time, say, in trying to work on handstands, it's a very muscular activity. It's like, I got it. I can do it. Mm, and then you're, mm -hmm. you're really working and maybe you're strong enough and you have the range of motion to do it, but you're still, you're still like actively doing it. And, yeah. and the key is, and I am not a handstand person, but a key that I understand is the body stacking. And then it becomes mm -hmm. more like you, just like you understand, well, most people should understand how to stand upright occurred to me mm -hmm. that a lot of Westerners don't know how to do that either. But if you know how to stand upright, it's that same feeling. <laughs> There's so many things yeah. I can unpack here. As a podcaster, I took it upon myself to stand, I'm not judging you because you're sitting, it's fine. Um, but I always stand. So this is, I'm, I'm like literally standing here. Yeah. Partly it's because I'm Italian and I need room to like wave and gesticulate. <laughs> But when I, when I tried to stand up, I realized that it's not easy to stand in front of your desk for like two mm. hours to do all mm. this stuff. And I, it's like a physical practice. And now I'm just like, oh, you know, well, I, I could just stand here all day. So in handstand, I, I'm like, oh, I bet you there's the same lesson. Like it's, yes, it's partly physical, but it's really about understanding how does this body work in the other orientation. Harmonious oh, stacking, yeah. right? I'm and, off on a tangent, and, and sorry. Only repetition can do that. I had... I experienced exactly what you mentioned in when I was learning handstands and, and I don't practice as much now these days, but I still maintain because I teach some classes and I want to, you know, 
offer a nice, nice session yeah, to the students. Do the trick, do the trick. I want to see you do the trick. Yeah, you got to yeah. <laughs> perform. Yeah, or, or like to show them, you know, it's very inspiring. You see like, wow, if you can do it, I can do it too one day, right? That's that's mm-hmm. quite important, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I experienced this when I was also learning meditation. So I had been teaching movement for several years I, you know, thought I had reasonably good posture, range of motion, movements, and um, I went to my teacher's first meditation retreat, my first meditation retreat with him, and we didn't actually meditate heaps. We maybe did, like, you know, combined an hour and a half a day. It was not a Vipassana. There was a lot of talk, though. And everyone would sit completely still and absorb the teachings. And those between meditating and listening uh, and, and also some dialogue, we would be sitting for maybe, you know, five to eight hours a day, depending on the day. And I, I noticed that on the second day, I just had a thick cushion. So some people pick chairs, some people sit on the floor, some sit on cushion. It's not about a physical practice at all. I noticed that every joint in my body was aching and I could just not get comfortable. And my first kind of reaction uh, just from my conditioning was, oh, well, sitting, you know, still is bad for you. I need more movement. And I was going out and doing all these like, you know, Mm -hmm. spinal waves and circles and wriggly movement to remedy this pain I had. Um, but then there were all these elderly people that were so relaxed and able to sit there and enjoy the whole, you know, they weren't squirming around like I was secretly <laughs> trying to, you know, ease my discomfort. And by the end of the week, I was everything just let go. And I was so soft and able to sit. So when I went home, I was like, I should not sit still on a chair at the computer eight hours a day because it's not good for me. But if I need to, I should not become highly uncomfortable. Mm. Um, And I actually something within me softened, right? So it wasn't as spectacular and elaborate as learning a handstand. It was just, can I sit in a chair, right? Like, so it's like really going full circle from like we ditched the Mm. chairs and, you know, like open up the hips and the spine and the ankles and the knees and squat and low gate positions. And I do a lot of stuff on the floor. I'm most comfortable on the floor. But I think like if I can't sit comfortably in a chair, something is not right as well. Like it's just everything is just a paradox. Right? Mm. I Absolutely. Um, that's a that's a really excellent. That's an excellent story about sitting and learning. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was stumped. I was like, wow. <laughs> I got nothing to say in response to that. That was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> That's a great story. Um, there's deep wisdom there. The beauty of podcasts is people can rewind. Um, I will just, I'm watching the time tick and I hate to say it, but that mm-hmm. was awesome. But I'm just going to say, and of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. Ooh, three words. Um, one would have to be, I think it's a word, observative. I'm really keen on observing, whether it's humans, environment, everything, myself, thoughts, feelings. Um, 
And I'm going to be a bit greedy and link two together to count as one. Hyphens uh, are free. Yeah, yeah, it's a hyphen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so creative expression is increasingly important for me in, in all the practices. And uh, faith, actually. Um, I thought it was surrender, but it's faith. Faith that I will, as long as I am observant, then... I will always be guided in knowing what to do and how to do it because I like to do explore a lot of things that I don't know and it's like you know fumbling in the dark but I have faith that it will a path will just appear and it does um you know faith in in my capacity to learn and in everyone's capacity to learn um so yeah <laughs> Terrific, as I say all the time, because I mean it. Um, that was awesome. Thank you. It was everything that I knew it would be. Uh, it was awesome. Thanks for taking the time to join me. Um, uh, this will not be the only time that we ever talk, so that'll be cool. And I'll just say thank you so much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been really great. Um, another chat will be just as great, if not even better, I reckon. And. Uh, yeah, thanks to everyone for listening. And I hope that you, Mr. Craig, also have a very peaceful night with a good sleep because it's late over there. <laughs>